morning, and I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that you're here, and it is always just a gift and a blessing to gather as the church and to gather as people along the way, knowing that maybe not everybody here would say, I am the church, and that's good. We love that, so we're, we're, we're glad to gather however we get to gather. And, and just to start off the day, I was thinking about the story that kind of relates, um, and, I, I, and like a lifetime ago, I used to play guitar. And I, would be, and I would get asked to teach people how to play guitar. And they would ask me for kind of pointers, like, hey, just what are some things that you can tell me to help me get into it? And one of the things I would always tell them is just be prepared to hate it for six months. It's not going to be fun. Be prepared that you just got to grind for six months, get in there, put in the hours of practice, but just know. It's not going to be fun for six months. So for six months, your fingers are going to hurt. It's going to feel awkward. You're not going to be, it's going to feel unfamiliar. You're not going to recognize anything that you play. And if you do play something, it's going to be something you don't want to play because you're building foundations and basics. But if you can hang, hang in there for six months, after about that time, your fingers start to feel more familiar. You don't, you're not thinking as much. You can actually start to recognize songs that you, that you started playing guitar to play for you know, like Stairway to Heaven and stuff like that, right? Um, but, like, you start to recognize it, and it becomes rewarding. And then after that, you're, you're, then you're the person that takes your guitar everywhere, and you're the guitar person. And every party and every gathering, your guitar is always there, and you pull it out, and you're playing, and you're in the corner, and there's one or two people that are either being really nice to you or that just have that same gene, and y'all are sitting in the corner playing and singing all the time, but it takes a while to get there. But then it's like self-rewarding, and then it just reinforces and reinforces and reinforces. Well, as we've been working through Romans from chapters 1 to chapter 7 for the past months, that's kind of what it's been like. There, there, there have been beautiful moments, and there have been beautiful moments that we've had, but, but by and large, it's been much of this kind of building this foundation. You know, as we've been, as we've been kind of doing the hard work of, of understanding our sin. I mean, our sin. That, again, that's not fun, but we've, but we've been really brought face to face with that. We've endured all, all these nuanced arguments. Paul, over and over again, just thinking of the mind of the Pharisaic believer. And he's been, and he's been just picking them apart little by little. And we've endured these little nuanced arguments that almost sound the same, but they're so radically important for us to understand. We've been, we've been doing this hard work, and today, today, we transition into the second half of this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and as we transition into the second half, we get the payoff. So before we go any farther, I would love to pray for us, and we'll, and we'll look at Romans 1, Romans 8, 1 through 4 today. God, we love you, and we, um, we thank you for leading us through the hard work of, Lord, bringing us to a place of being confronted by our sin and the judgment that is due us because of our sin and then, and then building up, building the reality, the beautiful reality of your heart for salvation that you presented in Christ. And, Lord, that we are not justified by works, but we are justified by grace through faith in your Son, Jesus. Lord, our, our, our righteousness, our right standing before you comes by faith and nothing else. And then, Lord, you've also led us to see that this faith that saves does not remain alone, but it results in a life of striving and working. And we've been digging into this frustration of, of wanting to do right, but not being able to. 
and just feeling like it is all for loss at times. And so we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your diligence to bring us along and to teach us and to shape us. So, Lord, as we come to your word once again, Lord, I pray that you would just stir our hearts, our minds, our lives, humble us, make us hungry, and change us forever. Lord, not just in this room, but in this world, all for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. So if you have not already, go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses on the screen, but there's also a Bible underneath a chair near you, and you can use that. If you don't have a Bible at all, please take that with you. That's our gift to you. And lastly, we also use the YouVersion Bible app. If you go down to the More tab and click Events, we'll see us pop up, and there's some stuff there to help you follow along as well. So Romans 8 is what we'll be. Um, as I said, we're, we're transitioning into the second half of the book of Romans, and it's a letter, the second half of this letter. Uh, Paul's been focusing on why we need a Redeemer, why we need to be saved, because we are sinful, because we sinned against a holy God who created us for his holy purpose. He's been focusing on how we can be saved and how we can have assurance in our salvation. That's this whole work that Paul's been building up in Romans 1 through 7. Chapter 8 marks a transition into the life lived unto God in Christ. So he's been building how we can come into the fellowship of God in Christ. Now he's transitioning to the life, the life lived unto God. And if you want to use two theological words, one through seven is really about our justification in Christ, our salvation, how we come into right standing. And now we're transitioning into the sanctification, the life lived unto God, that as we are set apart for his holy purpose, now we are living, becoming more like him as we walk in obedience and humility and boldness. So that's where we're transitioning into today. If you've, if, if you, if you've been here for the past few weeks, especially as we were in chapter 7, chapter 7 is an amazing chapter, but it's hard to read it without wanting to just like explode into chapter 8. And so I know that I've been, I've been saying, oh, I can't wait for chapter 8. I've been like chomping at the bit. I know Caleb, who was teaching last week, was, was feeling the same way. But we've been excited to get to chapter 8. And chapter 8, I mean, Romans is one of the most beloved books of the Bible by the church. And if you want to say there's one chapter that probably the majority of people latch onto, it's chapter 8. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my, my favorite uh, t pastors, teachers, theologians, and commentaries, he, he, he describes Romans 8 like this. He says, it's one of the brightest gems of all. Someone has said that in the whole of scriptures, the brightest and the most lustrous and flashing stone or collection of stones is this epistle to the Romans, and that of chapter 8 is the brightest gem in the cluster. The most moving chapter in Romans is this, chapter 8. And, and, and I, I mean, I've loved all of what we've been digging into and, and learning and teaching, but I'm, I'm one of those people. I love chapter 8. Dave Tenhay, we were talking about it this past week. He's like, I think I'm weird, but I've always loved chapter 7. Nobody loves chapter 7, but I, I mean, again, I get why he does. I love it too, because there's so much grace in it, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it pays off so well here in chapter 8. So with Without delaying any longer, let's get to it. All right, so Romans 8, we're going to start just in verse 1. Here we go. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I don't know if you've heard that a hundred times, if that's the first time. You know, on, if you're on either one of those sides, there's a, there's a danger of us reading that kind of with some ho-humness. If we've read it a hundred times, it's just normal now. 
It's like if you're a millionaire, the day you become a millionaire, like if I, if I won the lottery, like tomorrow, that would be big news. A few years from now, if I kept the money, which most people don't, um, I, it would be like, that's just normal. And, and like that's the, like, so if we've read this a hundred times, there's a chance the, the richness of it has grown dull. And if you haven't read it before, maybe the unfamiliarity of it, that's a hard word to say, maybe the newness of it kind of will make you miss it. But there is no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So today I hope we can dig in and have it either stirred fresh and new once again or just wash over us like a crashing wave. I know we want to get to this proclamation, especially if you've been on this journey with us, that of there being no condemnation. But to get there rightly, we must first answer this question. What is it to be in Christ? And we're going to find our answer less in this text alone, but more in all of Scripture. So how are we in Christ? So first, we are in Christ judicially. That is a courtroom standing. We are, we are, we are in Christ because he has made us innocent. Or another word for judicial is federally. So thinking back to Romans 5 when we talked about that we were in sin as we were in Adam. Now in Christ, we are made new. We are righteous. We have new life. And so once we were dead, now we are alive. That's a judicial sense that we were guilty now we are innocent because we are in Christ. We have been, we have been enveloped in and given the same standing as Jesus. Um, so we can also see this not just in Romans 5, but in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22. It says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. We're speaking of, of our whole selves. We're speaking of eternity. We're speaking of our souls here. We're speaking of our standing before a holy God. So that's, that's firstly, we are in Christ judicially. Secondly, we are in Christ vitally. It's the vital union. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before, but it is the, 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 like the, the connection that we can't go without. We are, we are in Christ vitally. Thinking, think of the branch in the vine. The branch has no life Without the vine, John 15, 4 and 5, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So our hope, our peace, our ability to glorify God in this life is all dependent on this vital union that we have with him. This, this connection to the source of life and of hope and of purpose and identity. So we are connected. We are in Christ vitally. And, that, and then we also see this picture of as the head and the members of the body. Ephesians 1, 22 through 23 and he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Again, vital. You see, there is no life without this connection. And this union that we're talking about, this vital union, rises out of the work of the Holy Spirit. God gave himself and the Holy Spirit to us. Read this, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. That is just a way of saying everyone in Christ 
all were made to drink of one spirit. So we are, we are bound in this unity, in this vital union by the Holy Spirit's work in Christ. So we are in Christ judicially, we are in Christ vitally, and now we see we are in Christ by faith. Ephesians 3.17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through, through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that goes on, but so that you may dwell in, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Galatians 3.26 and 27, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We see our faith is what brings us into this fellowship, this relationship, this standing in Christ. So praise God we are in Christ. And so it is through our trusting God, just as, just as, we, looked at, just as we looked earlier in Romans and we saw that Abraham's faith is what brought him righteousness, we see the same thing through our faith. He trusted God. So in our trusting God for our redemption from our sin in the way that he provided, which is Jesus Christ, we're made to be in Christ. So it's not just one of these aspects of being in Christ that, that, that frees us from condemnation, but it's the working of all of them that frees us from condemnation. It's, it, it brings us to the glorious promise of there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So in verse 1, we see that. That's what it says. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to say it so much today, and I hope it just sticks. And if you don't have any other memory verses, this is the one that latches into your hearts and minds. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're here now. Because we are in Christ, this is the proclamation of the promise for you and me. This is really the central argument of, of Romans 1 through 7 as we have chaptered them out. It's, it's where it all leads to, is to this moment. So again, if you go back and just trace the line of thought that Paul is just masterfully leading us through as, as God leads him, this is where it all comes to, to this statement. And you would think about it, like just, just marvel at that for a minute, that that God is, is he's working for us to understand his purpose for our life, his proclamation over our life, and it could have resulted in anything. And it came to this proclamation. It could have resulted in, so go do this. So don't do that. So be this, be that. It is like, no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all of the tensions that we felt in these last months, and, and that's not just rooted in, not just connected to what we've been teaching, but you live with these tensions. You live with the, with, with, the, with the burden conscious at times of, gosh, am I doing enough, especially if you're a believer. But again, if you're not a Christ follower, if you go back to Romans 1 and you know, the end of 1 through the beginning of 3, you'll see that you live with the same burden moral conscious because God put that in your heart to know right from wrong, to know what his truth is. And so we see this tension the tensions that we live with, the tensions that we've been feeling as we've really been trying to earnestly seek and understand God's word for us here, it all, it all leads to this. I mean, just think about if you were here last week, you know, Caleb was looking at Romans 7, the last part, 15 through 25. And, and Paul, I am so grateful. This is, this is you know, we're talk, coming back to Dave Tenhay. This is the section that he was talking about that he has always just been so grateful for. And it, and it is such a generous, charitable, benevolent posture of a holy God to, to lead Paul to put this in here for us. 
Because you know what it said? This is that section where Paul's like, hey, listen, as a believer, as someone who has a renewed conscience, a renewed will, and a new desire and purpose for my life, I, I end up always not doing what I want to do in the Spirit, and I always don't do what I want to do. I end up not doing what's right, and I end up doing what's wrong all the time, and, I, and I'm so frustrated by it. And he says it's, it's so pervasive in my life. He makes this statement that it's, like, it's almost like it's an inescapable natural law. He says it's as law. He's saying it's kind of like, it's like breathing. If I don't breathe, I die. He's, he's making that connection, and he's that kind of frustrated and desperate, and I'm so grateful because it just it humanizes it, and it makes me feel okay. Like it's like, oh my gosh, I can keep going. I can keep striving. I can keep reading. I can keep studying. I can keep learning. And I can, I can keep saying I'm a child of God. Okay, this is really kind. So he's talking about this battle of flesh and spirit. And, and you know, again, sinning, seems, sinning against a holy God, this loving, seems inescapable. I mean, again, connect with the moment. Like we, he and we know the majesty and goodness of God. And yet he and we can't seem to stop rebelling or denying or getting lazy or growing passive or complacent or just falling asleep or just trying to measure up. Like, this is all of our tendencies. And Paul's just, he's fed up. He says in verse 24, oh, wretched man that I am. He's like, enough is enough. And he just sees himself as just like, oh, I'm tired of this. And then he gives us a glimpse, and he says, thank God for Jesus. And really what he says in actuality is, even his thankfulness is only possible because of Jesus. And thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Like, do you get why that matters? Like, he can't even be thankful without Jesus. He wouldn't even know the struggle without Jesus. He would just be headlong into death and destruction. He would have some kind of moral compass, but it would always be just running headlong into that. But yet, because of Jesus, he's new. Because of Jesus, he's got hope. Because of Jesus, he cares about the glory of God in his life. And so he says, so thank you, one, for the struggle, but thank you that the struggle is not mine to bear, but you have bore it for me. So here we go. Man, I feel like I've preached the whole sermon already. Because we are in Christ, this is where it all comes to. Because we are in Christ, we are free from condemnation. What is condemnation? It's to be guilty, right? And think about everything we've just said, what we've been studying. We are guilty in our sin. And God made us innocent in Christ. So we are free from condemnation. Let's put this together. So we are free from guilt. Do you hear the emphaticness of this statement? Do you hear the completeness, the, the, the overwhelming, like overtaking truth being proclaimed? You are free. It is absolute, free from condemnation. So let's just be honest. Like how often do we walk around and maybe a better adjective is slink around. We're kind of slinking around just waiting for the hammer to drop again. We're like, oh gosh, I, I know that I'm gonna, I know that, that guilt is coming again. And we just kind of and we kind of have that sense of like, yeah, I'm doing good today, but man, it's I'm it's gonna all it's all gonna fall apart. We read this and we may nod our head at this. 
But, but we live more like this proclamation of grace is more like a five-hour energy drink. You know, we drink it and get the shot of energy and, and, and conviction and motivation, but then it kind of wears off. And we think that we're going to end back up under guilt and condemnation once again. And this is, again, think, about, think back to Romans 7, what Paul was saying. Like, I don't do what I want to do, and I, and I do what I don't want to do. And so, again, that's because when we process that through our understanding, that's what makes sense. That I know I'm going to mess up again, so therefore I must come under guilt again. Therefore, I must come under condemnation again. And we're talking about God's holy, eternal judgment on you. There's always consequence for sin, right? But what he's saying is that we cannot, re, we cannot step out of God's completed judgment over you that was accomplished and given to you in Christ. So we must remember and cling to this with all of our might to the reality that Paul is calling us to here. So if you are in Christ, there's absolutely no possibility of ever being back under condemnation. Absolutely none. The title of this sermon, which we, I, have, I don't know if I've ever spoken a title of a sermon, but it's just none, zero, nada. I mean, that's, that's the reality. There is no chance of you ever, because that means that somehow you can undo the work of Christ. How could you do that? Just a little temporal person whose life is but a vapor. And yet, in his glorious riches, he has worked this in you that you are no longer under that condemnation. And because he did it, again, think about the assurance in Christ we've been building through this whole time. Paul is just driving that final nail in the coffin doesn't work here because we're life. But he's, he's bringing it home. We have to cling to this. There is absolutely no possibility of ever being back under condemnation as far as how God sees you. He sees you with the righteousness of his son, Jesus. Again, coming back to Lloyd-Jones, he said this. He says, most of our troubles are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse. So, so what happens if we forget that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now there is zero chance of you ever being under that guilty sentence again. What happens if we forget? And, and again, like, hear me, there is always a consequence for sin. In God's kindness, he calls us to repentance, and that hurts. It's uncomfortable, but it brings us to restoration. It brings us to saying, once again, God, my life is yours, and I thank you that I'm not the one who makes me presentable, but you've made me presentable. And it's not me. Again, this whole thing we've talked about over and over again through Romans, God is not against your effort. He is against your earning. Jesus did it. And so once again, if we forget, even though there is a sense of guilt as we process that is helpful in leading us to repentance, when we forget this proclamation, we feel far more guilt and unworthiness and pain than we should. It goes from a guilt of bringing us to the throne of grace to a guilt of driving us into our self-sovereignty and self-provision of overcoming our sin. 
God, our sin, when he, when he convicts us, is meant to draw us into his loving, corrective, restoring embrace. As any good parent does. It's oh, good. <laughs> um, so if you forget, what does it lead to? I mean, what I just said, it, it, there's a sense of this need to prove yourselves whether it be to God in this life or in this life. But we take on the responsibility of proving that we are good enough, that we are likable, that we are capable, that we are competent. When we forget that there is no condemnation because of what Jesus did, we take on the responsibility of proving ourselves and what only Jesus could do. Another thing that we see when we forget is that it leads to uh, sensitivity to criticism or defensiveness. Again, we don't know how to take correction. It all becomes an attack on who we are and, what, again, on, on, on what's valuable and important about us. But when we see the way that God, when we see ourselves the way God sees us in Christ, restored, new, his, righteous, all of a sudden we are grateful for the correction of a friend. It makes us stronger and better and wiser. Go read Proverbs for the next month. Read one a day. It is phenomenal to help you see that. We also see a lack of confidence in relationships. We have a hard time trusting any relationship. We have a hard time not internalizing every little thing about, that makes it about who we are and what, what we're worth. Again, you see the theme recurring. It's about identity. And again, not just earthly relationships, but all relationships. And because of that, we have a lack of confidence and joy in our prayer and our worship. Because all of a sudden we say, there's no way that God could, could remove my condemnation. So therefore, I can't trust him. Therefore, I can't come before him. Therefore, because I have denied grace, now I don't have joy. Where's, what, where does joy come from? Like true joy. It comes from residing and abiding in the completed work of Christ and his grace over you. And so, again, we cannot forget. And again, just one more practical thing. We see addictive behavior comes out of this forgetting that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ because it is shame. It is unworthiness that so often leads to, to, those, to those spaces of addiction because those spaces of addiction are about control and escape and about not feeling that fear. So it's huge, and it's practical, and it's overtaking, and so we got to remember. And so we see that forgetting leads to those things. It also zaps us of our motivation to live holy lives for God. And why do you say that? And I think there's nothing more demotivating for me than when I have given my best, and it's not enough. Like, that's just me. And, I have, and I've seen my efforts fail, and, I, and, and, man, I, and all of a sudden, I, there's nothing left of me, and yet there's this, still this huge, huge thing that I need to do. It, it locks me up. It shuts me down. It kind of, why even bother? I mean, when we forget that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, we all of a sudden do the same. And, we, and out of that results this disability, this diminished ability for self-control. Because it's not worth it. Because it is all inevitably pointless. Because we just, are once again, 
we allow ourselves to come back under condemnation as opposed to when we fell saying, God, here is my, my, my broken offering and thank you that your grace is sufficient and thank you that my standing is the same before you because of Jesus. We end up obeying out of fear and duty. And that is not what God invited us into. That is not the picture of a holy life that he's invited us and called us into. As you know, like fear and duty only motivates so long. Yes, it motivates some, but it will eventually run out all the time. What's a greater motivator? Love is a greater motivator. I said love kind of funny just then. Love is a greater motivator than truly grasping that. I'm sorry. Um, I need need a a moment of release. It's just been like, Um, But love is a far greater motivator. And and truly grasping, love, uh, and truly grasping that there is no condemnation is what will birth such a deep, grateful love for our God. Again, we, we exhort one another often, like start with who he is. As you're wrestling with concepts, as you're wrestling with your life, as you're wrestling with happiness, as you're wrestling with your purpose, as you're wrestling with is God, is God this way really? Like, okay, we'll just dig into him. And all of a sudden, like we start to understand even more what this, how we come to these places and these proclamations of why it matters so much and why it should be so over, overwhelming for us to know that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I am going to cover the three other verses, I promise. We're going to get there, and it's going to be pretty fast. This is the bulk of it. Um, we're, past, we're, we're way past halfway. Um, but it bursts a deep, deep love. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And so it grows, it, it brings forth this love of God because we recognize to what ends he has gone to bring us to this place, this place of redemption where there's no condemnation. We're not condemned because Jesus took on our condemnation. And because of Jesus, our liberation from condemnation is now a relational promise. My motivations are much deeper to honor Amber than they are to obey the law of the land. I, don't, I try not to speed. I try not to speed because I don't want to pay for a ticket. And that is really about my, the end of my motivation. Maybe a little bit that I want to like live as a good citizen and show my character and integrity and just obey the authorities above me. But that's, to be honest, that's my, my greatest motivator is the budget thing. But my, my motivator to honor Amber is so much deeper. And by the way, when I sin against Amber, I'm not cast out of my marriage and relationship. I am, I am given an opportunity to humbly come back to her and confess in her love and then to experience her love restoring me. So there's your picture. There's your promise. we got to move on. I don't want to. Um, uh, but, uh, so first, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is something else 
we are free from and being in Christ to be victorious over sin. We are going to fly. So verse uh, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So just as there is now no condemnation, there is now no bondage of sin. You've heard us talk about a few times that, that we are free from, we are free from the, the penalty of sin. We are free from the power of sin. And in Christ, in the last days, we will finally be free from the presence of sin. So here, this is what we are talking about. We are talking about the penalty and our condemnation and the power in this bondage. So we are free from the bondage to sin. There is now no bondage to sin. There are a few things the law can mean. God's law, or it can mean God's law or standard, the given law. It can also mean a general principle, just kind of this, like what I was talking about earlier, or a force of a force or power. Here in verse 2, it's clear that Paul is speaking of the power of sin. He's speaking, he's saying that the Holy Spirit has come to free us from the bondage, the power that we have to sin within our hearts. So to restate these two verses, verses 1 and 2, salvation in Christ Jesus deals with our legal guilt and our internal corruption. So he's made us innocent and he's renewed us. So what is the relationship of these two? We could make a mistake to read this to say that there is no condemnation because the Holy Spirit frees us from sin so we are able to fight sin and obey God enough that we're not guilty. We can make the mistake of saying that we live unto God so that we might be free. Or to use the terms we were introduced earlier to say that our sanctification leads to our justification. But the proclamation is here and what we must read is this. We know we are free from our condemnation because God has sent the Holy Spirit into our life to mark us as free and to free us from sin. We are freed so that we might live unto God. Our justification leads to our sanctification. So we are no longer under condemnation and we are no longer under the bondage of sin. Because of our salvation in Christ, there is now no condemnation from sin and the bondage of sin. But how did God do it? How did he do it? Uh, verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. I know I read that fast. Please go back and read it again. But in verse 3, we see this. How, how did God do this? First, he did it by sending his son Jesus to become human and become a sin offering for you and me. We don't get just to become guilty. The righteous requirement of the law had to be satisfied. And so he sent Jesus to become the sin offering for us. Our sin demanded a recompense. It created a debt. The law, and remember from, from weeks past, the law is good. The law is holy. The law reflects the will and character of God, but it was our flesh that was not, that was not able to attain the standard of the law and made it unable to redeem us. So therefore, we have a sin debt to the law that we cannot pay. So what we see is that the death of Christ defeats sin legally defeats sin in our standing before God. It satisfied our legal debt. Verse 4 says this, and as we think about verse 4 and what God accomplished, God accomplished this by not, 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 not uh, 
He didn't stop at just defeating our sin, but he also worked to increasingly wipe sin out of our lives. We're positionally made righteous before God in Christ, and we are equipped more and more every day to live unto holiness by the Holy Spirit, inclining our hearts and our wills to God. We've heard Jesus is our advocate before the Holy God. The Holy Spirit advocates the character and truth of God to us, calling out, He is good, He loves you, and giving us a desire to live this life. It says, Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is not a conditional clause. It is, not, it is not saying if you do this, this happens. It is a declarative statement of your identity. It is declarative. You are now one who walks by the Spirit because He's been given to you. You're not ruled by the flesh. Yes, you still battle the flesh, but you are ruled no longer because you have the Holy Spirit. Paul is describing the victorious life. And this is the victorious life that is much more than just go and seize it. This is the one that is done for you. This is the one that is given to you. You don't get to make it happen. Jesus made it happen. But you do get to abide and surrender every day. You're no longer known by your flesh. You're known by God, by his own spirit given to you in Christ. Because you are victorious, you can live victorious. So how does holiness, freedom, and the law all come together? John Stott says this, We are set free from the law as a way of acceptance, but obliged to keep it as a way of holiness. It is as a ground of justification that the law no longer binds us, but as a standard of conduct, the law is still binding, and we seek to fulfill it as we walk according to the Spirit. So, by the way, this is... This is what we're just talking about is the why. We just talked about the how. This is the why of all of this. Why did God send Jesus to bear our sins in condemnation and liberate us from bondage? It says, walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It was all done so that we might live holy lives. And similarly, because we are victorious, we can live victorious. Because we are holy, we pursue holy lives. All that Jesus did, his incarnation, his entering into our world, humbling himself, taking on flesh, his giving of his life and death, and, and his resurrection was all so that the righteous requirement of the law would be met and we would be made holy that we could live holy lives. I mean, what, if, if, if you've come to the place of understanding and believing that this holy God created you for this amazing holy purpose, what greater purpose could there be and what greater thing could there be to be grateful for than being made able to live a life that reflects and glorifies our holy, sovereign, good, gracious, merciful, just, loving, generous, heavenly Father? And that's the short list. When we walk as though we are still condemned, we frustrate the entire purpose of life, death, and ministry of Jesus Christ. You are not condemned. You can never be condemned again. So if you've tasted the sweet freedom of Jesus Christ, 
Cling to it and do not forget so that your life will continue to grow in holiness. And as you were wooed, this life will woo others unto the love of God. His grace, his redemption. So I'm going to close with one last thought about there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So although it is only those who are in Christ that are able to bask in this reality of there being no condemnation, this must absolutely inform the motive and posture of of how we engage a world that does not believe, a world that does not know. And it breaks my heart to see how often the church has, has, has offered condemnation instead of this. I mean, I, I love going to Costco. For, for Father's Day a year or two ago, Amber's Father's was it, my, was it my birthday or Father's Day? Father's Day. Amber's gift to me was to take me to Costco after church so I could eat samples. Like, and I, I love that. I mean, I just, I go around, and it's like I have a circuit. I know which way to go, and, and if we have time, there's two laps, and I take my hat off so they think it's a different person, you know. I, I, I love this, and the whole point of them giving samples is to get you to buy their product, and there would be no, like, if they wanted me to buy their amazing jalapeno mango sausage, it would be pointless for them to give me broccoli and say, now go buy my sausage, right? So these samples, they're meant to give you a taste of what is to come. And I'll tell you, if you are in Christ, your life and your proclamation and the way that you engage those who do not believe in Christ, who have not followed him, it better, it better be a taste of this. It is not your job to convict of sin. It is your job to live out the love of God, to live out a life unto Christ. And what is our mission statement? We commit to a journey of transformation together toward Jesus for the glory of God. And as all of a sudden you invite them into your life and put them on your hip and you're pursuing Jesus, guess what? He'll take care of their sin because he's the only one who can. So don't require of people to do what only the gospel of Jesus can do. Can you transform yourself? No. Neither can anyone else. So this has to inform the way that we engage a world that is hurting and seeking and, 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 and lost, that we go forward with great grace, great grace, patience, respect, boldness, and courage, and we incarnate just like Jesus entering into their world, but with great patience inviting them in until they taste and see. And I guarantee you their sin will be taken care of. You don't have to do it. As they ask, be honest. Anyway, that's a whole nother, we can go down that road. But So we are, so live is the light. I mean, the greatest commandments are love God, love people. And then we're told to go and make disciples. And so that's, that's, that's it. And so if you're not a Christ follower and you're in here, um, I, I want you to be convicted over your sin. Because again, that's what brings you to freedom but again, I, I want to invite you to Jesus and let him do that. Um, and to hear that, I mean, even though we were all under condemnation fully, every one of us, 
God's heart is to condemn our sin. Christ condemned our sin, but to liberate you and to liberate me. He loves you right where you are. Hear that. If you haven't heard it, God loves you, and he likes you, and he wants you. But he loves you enough to give all of himself in Christ so that you don't have to be left where you are. Pray. God, we love you. Um, We are amazed by you. I pray right now that you would um, just stir our hearts and our minds to be in awe of the work of Christ. Lord, to be humbled and to be emboldened. Lord, to cling to the promise that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we live unto your name for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.